Why are you in camouflage? From from what? How, how's that going to keep people from seeing you? You're in a parking lot. <laughs> Why are you in camouflage? What what people? I thought that was a Jeep Grand Wagoneer, huh? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Cunning disguise. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and many other affiliates, nation and worldwide. Too many to list because that's just how much show we got for you today. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, where we have been fighting like hell now for nearly 20 years on both the Bradcast and bradblog.com to protect what is left of your democracy. So, hey, why should we stop now? Just because I'm exhausted. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. We will get to uh, some of the voter intimidation now underway, uh, as sure as day follows night around the country, because, well, early voting is underway in many states in advance of our critical midterm elections on November 8th. And if time, also some thoughts on those elections and how to count them or not count them as the case may be. We'll see if we get there. Let's uh, before it gets ugly, however, today, let's start with some mostly I think good environmental news today. What? Yay. I know. Yeah. Well, it's stuff we couldn't fit into our green news report that is coming up a little bit later in this hour, including uh, good news from several surprising sources here today. The first one is yes, from Desi's old home state of Texas, from whence good news rarely seems to come <laughs> these days. But there is there some good news Parti- sometimes. Particularly when it has to do with uh, energy and the environment. Uh, this past week, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, otherwise known as ERCOT, approved a virtual power plant program that will let customers who have solar panels and storage batteries to store their surplus electricity and then sell it back to the grid as demand increases. Which, of course, when I saw this, first thing I thought was they don't have that already. Correct. Especially with Texas's unbelievably brittle uh, electrical grid. Yes. So this is a a pilot program, apparently. Yes, it's a whole new idea. So it is not surprising that they wouldn't necessarily have it. It's being developed right now as a concept where you have all of these homeowners Mm -hmm. sign up to be a part of this program, which then allows them to what they call a virtual power plant, which means Mm -hmm. they will coordinate with the computers at ERCOT and all of the uh, system operators, the grid operators, and they'll all work together. So basically your home with your neighbor's home and anybody else will all together be a little bitty power plant and you can help take care of those peak moments when uh, when the supply when the demand outstrips supply uh, you know uh, when a heat the regular wave. Uh, yes. grid and uh, so forth the ERCOT board was 
vote was unanimous on this. This opens the door for an, what they're describing as an 80 megawatt VPP or virtual power plant that will open for business early next year. Let's hope it's before the worst of the cold season that knocked out the Texas energy grid pretty much entirely for what, about a week or so, I think, uh, yes. the year before, la- winter before last, yes. if I recall? when the natural gas p- power mm-hmm. plants all kicked off because they didn't have the, the energy that they needed and they froze and they weren't weatherized and all of that. So The yes. project, ERCOT hopes, will reveal how scalable all of this may be and whether it can be applied in other locations or become a model for the country, though in truth, I think it already is a model elsewhere in the country uh, already, no? Um, there's not really a power plant a virtual power plant system that is operational right now mm-hmm. it, it's all in pilot programs in various states and is it the fact that this also involves that it's dealing with battery storage here yes. as opposed to just selling extra unused uh, energy from solar panels back to the grid correct is that this what is makes this it is this is a step above what would be called net metering where a rooftop solar owner mm-hmm. sells their excess power back to the grid that's called net metering this is on top of that this is if you you have like a Tesla Powerwall mm-hmm. or some other home-based battery system. GM is now getting into the energy grid business. They're going to be selling them as well. Then you have this capacity to sell your stored power back to the grid at times of peak demand. Teslarati.com, which is sort of a Tesla fan and news site, uh, reports that the ERCOT board of directors unanimously approved what will be a distributed energy resource, or a DER, DER, uh, <laughs> DER pilot project. Tesla has been reportedly working with the state's Public Utility Commission, or PUC, PUC, uh, and ERCOT since 2020 in hopes of enabling homeowners with Tesla Powerwalls. That's their big battery that you can keep in your garage and use. You can, you know, get solar energy, store store it in the battery, and there you go. Uh, working with them to uh, have the Tesla Powerwalls uh, as part of these uh, VPPs. By approving this, the utility will be able to reduce the stress on its fragile grid by allowing for extra renewable generated energy to be sent to the grid. Tesla, which moved its headquarters to the Lone Star State from California a year or so ago, obviously says they support the effort to improve the resilience and innovation of the grid. But there is still, uh, I think, even better news, I think, when it comes to renewable energy worldwide today. As the New York York Times Climate Forward newsletter notes this morning, a common refrain from people opposed to renewable energy sources like solar and wind is that they aren't reliable because they only generate power when the sun shines or the breeze blows. You will recall Donald Trump, who loves the, to pretend that that's the case. Remember his oh, yeah. darling, I'd, I'd love to watch TV tonight, but the wind stopped blowing, so right. we can't watch television. Because Trump wants to pretend that batteries don't exist. He used to use that, of course, to thrill them at all of his uh, rallies for years. Oh, do the darling I'd love to watch television part. Anyway, he probably still does. It, it, the Times notes it's a persistent complaint. This is from uh, the Times' Ivan Penn. He says, I've been reporting on energy issues for years now, and I recall one utility executive in Florida dismissing solar power because... Despite having the official nickname the Sunshine State, the place can be partly cloudy sometimes. 
worse, I would add, about half of the day, it's actually nighttime there. <laughs> but uh, here's some good news, Penn reports. Those views haven't stymied the steady growth of renewable energy, according to new data from the International Renewable Energy Agency, or as Desi calls them... IRENA. IRENA. That's how they call themselves. A new report from... IRENA, which uh, helps governments to move away from fossil fuels, shows renewable energy dominating new uh, power production worldwide and solar power is leading the way. In 2021, renewables made up 81 percent of new electricity capacity. 81 percent. All the new plants and other infrastructure that uh, generate power. This, according to the agency's report, that compares with 79 percent in 2020. So up two percent from the year prior when it comes to new sources of uh, of energy, that uh, electricity capacity. Over the same period, renewables increased to more than 38 percent of total capacity. So all of the infrastructure, new and old, that creates electricity That's up to 38% now worldwide. That is uh, up from just under 37% back in 2020. Now, in one sense, one might hear that and think, oh, only, only 38% of the world's energy, uh, electricity energy comes from renewable sources. That's one way to think about it. Oh, that's, that's not much. On the other hand, one might hear that as I do and think, wow. 38%. That's uh, probably 40% by the end of this year. That 38% number was last year. That's probably 40% by the end of this year at least. And that means at that point, we're just 10% away from the majority of global energy for electricity being produced by renewable sources. And that seems that seems huge to me. That's that frankly an enormous milestone, a landmark that is not, you know, no longer very far away at this point. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, renewable energy is now the cheapest source of energy. So if your local power company uh, is wanting to invest in a new natural gas plant, they're actually investing in charging you more. Later on, they, they're not. They need to, yeah, exactly. So, so it's a good idea to have more renewable energy and the solar storage battery systems that are going up. They're going up everywhere. Literally, these utility scale battery farms are going up everywhere. And soon, if these numbers continue, as uh, if you do the math here, I mean, we will be able to say that the majority of the world's electricity capacity comes not from dirty fossil fuels, but from clean renewable energy. I think that's huge. I don't know if I'm too giddy or overeager or optimistic about this, but uh, this seems to be huge news that is really just around the corner. Yes, I would agree with that. And not only is renewable energy surging, but the rate of deployment itself is increasing year over year. Doug Vine, the Director of Energy Analysis at the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions, a group focused on accelerating the global transition to net zero greenhouse gas emissions, said he was guardedly encouraged by Irina's report. He said, quote, it is true we are seeing a rate of decline in new coal and natural gas, but still there's a lot of existing coal plants 
and natural gas plants. We need to structurally change the system or retire that. Yes. I mean, it's obviously not enough. It's not fast enough, but it is happening. And with concerted effort, it can happen faster. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has demonstrated the economic volatility of fuels like natural gas, which was already losing the price war, as Desi said, to solar and wind power. Yes, it is. Wind and solar is cheaper in part because I think once you're set up to capture it, it's kind of free, essentially, thereafter. <laughs> not kind of free. It is free. <laughs> yes. The fuel, the sun, the wind are free forever. The Times Pen notes that the same utility executive in Florida who spoke dismissively of solar power a decade ago told me privately at the time that the, quote, holy grail of electricity was inexpensive, long-lasting storage, a statement that virtually everyone in the energy sector would still probably agree with. Better battery technology will further enable the growth of solar and wind power and eventually solve what some consider the problem of reliability. But solar already leads the growth in renewable energy with more than half of the new capacity in renewables that were added in 2021. More than half was solar. Wind power was second, though this is interesting, Desi. Do you know which type of renewable energy provides the largest percentage of renewable electricity capacity currently across the globe? Okay, so... You're asking of the renewable energy that is already installed across the globe. Across the globe, yeah. what version is providing the most energy right now? Correct. I would say offshore wind. You would be wrong. Really? What yes. is it? It's hydroelectric power. Oh, okay. Yes, that makes it, sense. I, which I wouldn't have thought of. No, Hydro I wouldn't have thought of. <laughs> it, uh, but provides... they're right. I mean, that is renewable, considered renewable well, of energy. Of course, they're right. It's the New York Times. <laughs> Hydroelectric power provides the largest percentage of renewable electricity capacity, though it contributed a little more than 7% of the new renewable energy generation. So not a lot of investment in hydroelectricity, perhaps because... Hydro has a ton of problems that go along with it. Yeah, like uh, droughts everywhere in the world. Yeah, you don't yep. have hydropower if you've got a bad drought. Still, the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions, Doug Vine, said the renewable energy growth would need to continue to accelerate by as much as three or four times the current annual pace by 2030 in order to meet global climate goals. Last month... However, the Solar Energy Industries Association said that solar power was posted to do its part, was, was poised, I should say, to do its part. According to the association, solar installations will nearly triple, triple by 2027. At the same time, uh, renewables have been facing strong headwinds related to global supply chain shortages brought on by covid Regulatory hurdles, construction delays linked to long delays in securing permits and so forth. And some of the gains in renewables have been offset by the retirement of nuclear power plants across the world, uh, which resulted in a steep loss in electricity generation because of the technology's ability to produce large amounts of power around the clock. Yes, I would happen to agree with those who say that we need to keep existing nuclear plants open as long as possible until we are able to retire fossil fuel power generation. Desi's email address is greennews yes. at bradblog.com. If you'd like to, uh, if you have any thoughts on that yes, for let me know. her, let her know. <laughs> 
in any event, uh, there's a lot of challenges, said Vine. One of the things we need to see is the world coming back to normal again. Well, wouldn't that be nice? That is even harder almost to see than a clean energy world at this point. Just the world coming back to normal. Uh, and, and, and one more note, sort of related to both of those issues. And it's, and it's one that's a bit nuanced. It's not great for talk radio where, you know, everything is supposed to be black and white, period. Here's what I believe. And if you don't, you, you're going straight to hell, whatever. <laughs> we do not roll that way on this show. Uh, change the channel if if you need to, because we live in a world of actual nuance, as difficult as it is sometimes to properly cover on the radio. So here's some potentially, maybe, sort of, I think, good news, uh, or at least not terrible news from, believe it or not, the pro-autocracy world, if such a thing is possible. Okay. My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. <laughs> Politico Pro, yes, that's a thing, is reporting that Georgia Maloney, soon to become Italia, uh, Italy's uh, new hard right, yes, actually fascist party prime minister, has a message for climate campaigners. The right wing is coming for your favorite issue. Really? She said at a web-streamed event in, uh, event in September, quote, ecology has been militarily occupied from the left. Last year, she was even clearer, says Politico, saying, quote, there is nothing more right-wing than ecology. The right loves the environment because it loves the land, the identity, the homeland. Now that she has taken power in Rome at the head of a turbulent coalition of right-wing and nationalist parties led by her Brothers of Italy grouping, her message is that carbon dioxide emissions can be lowered without having to sacrifice economic growth and employment. Now, there are many on the left who say the same thing. Because it's true. Um, the jobs gain um, just on its own from building out new renewable energy is huge. Now, she, on the other hand, unlike Desi, has not been particularly clear about what, you know, Maloney has not been clear about what she actually means by that. For example, she beats up on Greta Thunberg, saying at a, a right-wing conference over the summer that uh, Thunberg's, quote, ideology will lead us to lose thousands of companies and millions of jobs in Europe. Which, of course, uh, both Greta Thunberg and experts all over the world would disagree with. Correct. In any event, Maloney and her Brothers of Italy party signed a declaration by right-wing parties to respond to the challenges of a warming planet. The declaration says, quote, we must collectively do much more to combat the threat of climate change. That's good. And it adds, quote, we will not achieve these aims by harming the economy or through an exclusively state-led approach. We need to harness the expertise and creativity of businesses and entrepreneurs. As part of the declaration, Maloney has promised to uphold mid-century net zero objectives. That's good. That's a target agreed to by all EU countries and uh, supporting climate funding for emerging and vulnerable nations. So 
this is Maloney has promised these things that are, you know, pretty much many folks on the left have uh, called for as well. Yes. It's a recognition that climate change is a crucial issue for Italy, writes Politico. A country considered among the most vulnerable in Europe and which is still recovering from a summer of scorching heat, deadly glacier melting and flooding. It also marks a break with other right wing parties like the Republicans in the U.S., where many top leaders question the science of climate change. Well, they don't question it. They, they just out, deny, out it. deny it and <laughs> lie about it. Right now, again, it's sort of unclear what all of this means. The uh, you know what she is actually calling for. The Brothers of Italy Party Manifesto released a few days before the election last month. There vaguely references global climate commitments alongside the need to limit the over exploitation of natural resources to improve water protection, to boost reforestation and support the uptake of public transport. But it doesn't spell out any specific targets for reaching the EU's 2030 emissions uh, reduction targets. And yes, you know, as they used to say about Italy's Benito Mussolini, who, by the way, the Brothers of Italy Party is a direct descendant of. Uh, they used to say that uh, Mussolini, well, at least he made the trains run on time. <laughs> So, you know, and I don't mean to be doing that, even if Maloney and her party are somehow good on climate, and that very much remains to be seen, it does not mean that I am supporting her or her party in any way. But I do think that if she continues in this direction, if Federica Desario at Politico Pro is right about this, if she continues in this direction, well, at the very least, at the very minimum, that is bad news for climate deniers and liars in the big oil industry and back here at home in the Republican Party. Because, as you know, they are still pretending this entire thing is a hoax. There is no what climate change, what global warming and here, you know, one of their hero fascist regimes actually seems to be suggesting otherwise, suggesting there actually is a problem, a concern here that we need to do something about. We don't yet know what. We won't say specifically what. Well, she won't. Right. Uh, not yet. Not yet. We'll see. She's I don't even think she's been named uh, actually officially become prime minister yet. Her party has uh, won the most seats in in the parliament. So ultimately, I don't know, unless I'm being too over optimistic. Uh, I actually think all of this is a good thing. Well, it can be. I mean, there's a couple ways to think about this. One is how, look how right-wingers are again appropriating the language of progressives in their progressive values. They've mm -hmm. done it with election integrity now, mm -hmm. but now they're doing it sort of with environment and climate, knowing that people recognize we've got to do something, but hey, if we can just get these right-wingers to talk about it in a not insane way, then they might attract more votes, as long as they're really vague, because there is an issue called Eco-fascism, and that has been sort of brewing and bubbling up in various corners of the right-wing internet. The idea that you have to 
protect your homeland from climate impacts. And part of that will be restricting immigration Mm. because you have to keep your population low Mm. so you can keep your resources for yourself and you can hoard your resources to yourself. So that is keep you keep emissions low because you have your uh, lower population. You're 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 stopping exactly. uh, Oh, and immigrations, you know, they're just going to the immigrants are just going to, you know, make it mess everything up. But that's kind of what the eco fascists have been sort of saying in the darker corners of the Internet. And part of that also might include privatizing energy and water systems Mm. so that they are owned by corporations when you move into this new clean energy uh, system. Also, obviously, also bad. That said, you know, this stuff is measurable. So, you know, either they lower emissions or they don't. And if they don't, they can be held accountable to that. And, you know, the fact that she claims, oh, we, we there are other ways to do it. All right, let's see what they are. Yeah. You want to spend, uh, you know, millions and millions of dollars on uh, pulling, you know, carbon capture, pulling carbon out of the sky? Well, uh, feel free, but we're going to be able to see if that works or not. Yeah, the devil will be in the details. And, you know, so, again, we don't know what she's actually going to do. But even if she does nothing, her current rhetoric, I'm here to argue, actually will make things more difficult for our own hard right climate crisis deniers and liars. And I think I'm okay with that. Now, Maloney has called the EU's Green Deal, which sets the 2050 climate neutrality target into law, quote, climate fundamentalism, whatever that means. She's also dubious about the scale of financing going to the green transition. She wants to review the way Italy has to spend 191 billion euros from the uh, Bloc's recovery fund. They set a target of 37 percent of the cash going for the green transition. And she's expressed doubts about the way that the EU will spend the money Mm -hmm. uh, on recovery and resilience projects. But Claudio Baccianti, project manager at a a green think tank Agora Agora Energy Wende or something, uh, Mm -hmm. said it will be difficult for Maloney to actually change the priorities for recovery spending, adding that if Rome breaks EU rules, Brussels could freeze the payments. Climate efforts come on top of a push to wean Italy off of its dependent on Russian gas, which before the war in Ukraine accounted for about 40 percent of demand. During the campaign, Maloney backed resuming mm, nuclear power. So you and the fascists are are getting along great there, Des. She backs resuming nuclear power and... We're talking about different things, but okay. Okay. And domestic uh, gas drilling. No, you're not. You're saying yes, we are because I'm referring She's... only to existing nuclear power plants and not spending money unless you're going to do like research on super advanced modular reactors, which are like ten, twenty years in the future. But existing plants, yes. Building new right now, no. Uh, anyway, uh, resuming nukes and uh, domestic gas drilling would upend past policy on abandoning nuclear power and ending drilling for fossil fuels in Italy, uh, which is not good and frankly hard to square with her idea that there is nothing more right wing than ecology. Right. But all of the major parties in Italy have not been great on climate and they have pushed for more nukes and drilling. So her position, frankly, is not all that different from... Uh, really, everyone else in Italy, at least at the moment, Luca Bergamasi, head of the Eco Climate Think Tank, 
reckons that it's still too early to predict Maloney's energy and climate position. Quote, unlike her allies from the Northern League and Forza Italia, whose stance uh, whose stances in support of nuclear and domestic gas extraction look unshakable. Maloney has always adopted a far more cautious approach. Bergamasi said, uh, adding, there's a chance that she will be open to hear about what actually works again. Don't want to be too optimistic here, nor suggest that I am supporting a fascist regime. <laughs> but at least on this point, we'll see what she has to suggest. If she's serious about the climate or if, you know, or as she calls it, ecology, we'll see what she does. This sort of thing, as I said, is measurable, but it does not help the climate deniers and liars in this country. And for that reason, I think this small slice of news if not great, uh, you know, at least is not horrible. Correct. More not horrible news coming up a bit later on Desi Doyen's Green News Report. <laughs> but let's take a quick break here. We'll jump into uh, some, well, some critical midterm election news uh, with, again, I think some nuance that is not always easy to do on the radio. But if all we had to do was easy things every day. We'd be just like every other show on the airwaves, right? Stand by for more. I'm Brad, and this is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Early voting uh, for our critical midterm elections is now underway across many states. And that means, of course, so are voter intimidation efforts from the right, because that's how they roll. The state of Arizona seems to be taking an early lead in that department. Yep. Are you shocked? painting an ominous picture of just how far some big lie activists may be willing to go to push their debunked uh, voter fraud and election fraud narratives during these uh, midterm elections. Two armed individuals dressed in tactical gear were spotted lingering around an absentee ballot drop box in Mesa, Arizona recently, CNN first reported. Armed individuals, when you go to vote, there's somebody out there in the parking lot, even if they're 75 feet away or whatever it is, uh, as they're supposed to be, I guess, in, in the state of Arizona, 75 feet away from a, a, a absentee ballot drop box, they're wearing tactical gear and they are armed. How is that going to make you feel? Now, these two armed individuals reportedly left when the county sheriff arrived at this drop box in Mesa. It wasn't the first report, however, of voter intimidation at these drop boxes in the state in recent days. There have now been a number of these incidents, and it is not always... Uh, easy to tell if they are different reports or if they are the same people. In uh, one separate incident, a pair of activists reportedly filmed, photographed and harassed a couple of voters who were turning in their early ballots at the drop box. 
Quote, there's a group of people hanging out near the ballot drop box and accusing us of being a mule, the voter who reported the incident said. That's a reference to the debunked 2000 Mules movie. Uh, this phony documentary that claims that, you know, like drug dealers who are smuggling drugs into the U.S. over the border, that somehow people are being paid. Mules are being paid to smuggle fraudulent ballots into absentee ballot drop boxes instead of, I don't know, simply going to a local mailbox and dropping them in. That would work, too. Uh, the uh, many times over discredited 2000 Mules documentary was directed by this right wing provocateur and actual convicted election fraudster, a guy by the name of Dinesh D'Souza, falsely alleging widespread, if evidence free, claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. So far, the Republican run Georgia Bureau of Investigations and the FBI, and even Donald Trump's own former Attorney General Bill Barr have all scoffed at the the filmmakers' claims here and said that they have zero evidence to support the claims that they're actually making in this movie. Last week, the Republican Attorney General's office in Arizona sent a criminal referral for the group at the center of this film. These uh, longtime voter fraud fraudsters calling themselves True the Vote the Arizona, the Republican AZ, uh, AZAG sent a criminal referral to the FBI and the IRS citing potential crimes, including fraud uh, surrounding that phony documentary. But it keeps coming up at these incidents outside of drop boxes. At least four of these incidents, maybe more in Arizona, have so far been referred to the uh, U.S. Department of Justice and or the state attorney general's office. Brittany Thomason, a spokesperson for the Arizona AG's office, told Vice News about one of them, quote, we have received the referral and are currently reviewing it. Everyone should feel safe exercising their voting rights. If someone feels threatened, please contact local law enforcement Right away, she said, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chair Bill Gates and recorder Stephen Richer said in a joint statement released over the weekend, quote, we are deeply concerned about the safety of individuals who are exercising their constitutional right to vote and who are lawfully taking their early ballot to a drop box. For those who, uh, quote, for those who want to be involved in election integrity, they say become a poll worker or an official observer with your political party. The joint statement says don't dress in body armor to intimidate voters as they are legally returning their ballots. So Bill Gates, uh, not, by the way, not Microsoft Bill Gates. <laughs> But the lifelong Republican who is chair of the Maricopa County Phoenix, that's Phoenix, their Arizona Board of Commissioners, uh, said this on CNN over the weekend. I'm talking about people who have spread lies. Why are you in camouflage? From, from what, how, how's that going to keep people from seeing you? You're in a parking lot. We're really losing rationality and logic here. This is why we have elections, to avoid these start these sort of confrontations it's been normalized in some way over the past few years but we're not going to normalize it here in maricopa county 
I encourage people, let's take the temperature down. Yeah, good luck with that, Bill Gates. Uh, Again, Republican, lifelong Republican chair of the Maricopa County uh, Board of Commissioners. Hoping they take the temperature down, hoping they won't normalize this sort of behavior. I would say, I hate to say it, but I would say too late. Yes. Now, why are they in camouflage in the parking lot? Well, (laughs) in tactical gear, armed? Well, because, uh, Bill, members of your party, like Arizona State Senator Kelly Townsend, who is calling for this stuff. She actually thanked and congratulated those folks in tactical gear and armed in the parking lots, who she correctly at least described as vigilantes for camping out in parking lots outside of ballot drop boxes in order to intimidate voters. I have been so pleased to hear of all you vigilantes out there that want to camp out at these drop boxes, right? So do it. Do it. We put the word out today. So you don't want to normalize this. Well, I guess too late. I mean, that's a state senator congratulating the vigilantes for camping out overnight in the parking lot, scaring the hell out of people. And listen, I'm I'm somebody who's all for, uh, you know, public oversight at every step of the the, the process. But. Uh, you know, showing up in tactical gear with masks on and armed and armed. Uh, let's hope the uh, Department of Justice and or the uh, Republican run attorney general's office starts taking some action here. Justin Haywood, a spokesperson for Maricopa County for the recorder's office, told Vice News the county has, quote, taken active steps to ensure the safety and security of staff and voters. But many of these self-styled drop box watchers have the right to be on public sidewalks and parking lots. When Republican gubernatorial candidate and 2020 election liar Carrie Lake was asked whether she had heard about the incidents over the weekend, she claimed she hadn't heard. Oh, I had, she hadn't heard. She, she doesn't know anything about that. But she used the opportunity to preemptively sow distrust in the midterms, telling CNN that it, quote, just shows you how concerned people are. Quote, we can't have half of the population or more doubting our elections, she said. Well, gosh, Carrie, I wonder why they doubt our elections, since you yourself have said that you would not have certified Joe Biden's win in 2020 in Arizona had you been governor at the time, Carrie. Quote, It's not impossible to restore honesty and integrity to our election, she said. And I assure you, when I'm governor, we will do that. Now, how Lake exactly intends to restore honesty and integrity is, well, purposely unclear. The state has enacted several new restrictive voting laws since 2020. It's conducted that phony uh, sham audit theater of the uh, 2020 presidential election by the so-called cyber ninjas. They found zero actual evidence of fraud. And in fact, they even found that Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump by more votes in Arizona in 2020 than originally certified. But Carrie Lake is still standing by the fact that she would not have certified the election back in 2020 in Arizona. 
She also uh, has not played much of a role in instilling trust in the system herself. When repeatedly asked last week whether she would accept the results of her election if she lost, she refused to clarify her stance, saying simply, quote, I'm going to win the election and accept the results. Now, this has been a game a dangerous game, in my opinion, that the media have been playing since about 2016, asking candidates, will you accept the results of the election if you lose? And Democrats, you know, they're outraged when the candidate won't say, yes, absolutely, I will. But I think it's a ridiculous question. And frankly, I would not answer it either if I were running for office, because I would want to wait until Election Day to see if a, voters are allowed to vote, and after Election Day, B, if their votes are actually all counted as cast. I don't think that's unreasonable. Now, that's not what Kerry Lake says. That's not what Donald Trump says when he's when he's you know when they're asked about this. And I understand that's not what they mean when they answer that question. Uh, you know, they mean to say, well, I'll see if it's legit. If I you know, if I won, that'll be legit. If I lost, well, I'll claim fraud because whether there's evidence or not, uh, you know, I can't admit to being a loser. But still, Democrats should be very careful about handcuffing themselves in these cases when it comes to this notion that you must agree in advance of every single election that you will honor the results, no matter what they are, no matter if there's been huge voter suppression, no matter if, you know, the tabulators were found to have been uh, programmed inaccurately. And they could, Democrats could, find themselves on the losing end of an unverified election result and yet be forced to accept it no matter what, no matter the concerns that may exist based on very real evidence. So be careful, Democrats. I would not fall for that uh, trap, even though it seems they already have done so. Listener Mark R. emailed me this morning via bradcast at bradblog.com to say, uh, quote, Morning Joe on MSNBC just interviewed Frank Luntz. Ugh. Frank Luntz, the right wing pollster. There you go. Uh, about the risk of Republicans refusing to concede defeat next month. Joe said that in 2004, there were, quote, Wingnuts, who said John Kerry won in Ohio, but Kerry conceded defeat and ignored those who questioned the results. So apparently in this case, Joe, Joe Scarborough, who was a decades long Republican until only recently, he was referring to wingnuts as he dismissed them as folks on the left. Folks who legitimately questioned the Ohio results in 2004, as we did after all sorts of voter suppression and lockouts of the press and the public from counting rooms in several counties. Oh, the Warren County lockdown. Yeah, remember that? That was insane. The uh, Also, the state's central uh, results computer crashed in the middle of the night when John Kerry was leading, and then it was rerouted, we later learned, to a computer system in Tennessee that was run by the Republican Party. And when the uh, com when that computer then came back up, it showed George W. Bush leading in Ohio. So should there be questions about that? I would say so, yes. Mark R. continues, fascinating how the Republicans managed to flip concern about voting machines over the past two decades so that it's the Republicans who talk 
falsely about this, while the Democrats see it as comparable to flat earth hoaxes. Mark says, I'm not a fan of Gore nor Kerry, but they both won their elections. He says, not that this mattered to our overlords. The uh, rumor at the time, uh, he notes, was Kerry's uh, running mate, John Edwards, wanted to challenge in Ohio after the 2004 election, but that effort was quashed with the hapless Green candidate in the role of defending the count. Rome wasn't burned in a day. Now, I will note here, that's from Mark, I will note here that the Green candidate at the time was actually David Cobb. He was anything but hapless. In fact, it was thanks to him uh, and his party and the Libertarian Party at the time that both got together and challenged the results in Ohio. Thanks to them, the results were challenged at all that year. Right, because you had to be on the ballot in order to be allowed to mount any kind of request for a recount. In Ohio. And yes, by the way, several uh, top election officials in Ohio's largest county, Cuyahoga, were sentenced to the maximum in prison for gaming the post-election recount that was sought by the uh, Greens and the Libertarians that year, not by the Democrats. But Mark uh, is on the money regarding how the script has sort of been flipped here with Republicans claiming fraud and Democrat fake fraud and Democrats foolishly demanding there isn't any fraud. It's impossible, despite the terrible voting and tabulation systems that, yes, we still use and that are still still nearly impossible for the public to oversee at all. Which brings me to one of those nuanced points that are tough to do on talk radio that I've been trying to get to for a while. Uh, according to AP last week, a rural Nevada county can start hand counting mail-in ballots two weeks before Election Day. The state Supreme Court ruled on Friday, but it won't be allowed to live stream the tallying in order to make sure voting results aren't accidentally released prematurely. Now, first, I don't mind hand counting in most cases, but I do mind hand counting in secret and in advance of an election when the results could be leaked out and used against, well, you know, either party, depending on on how it happens. The ruling came in response to an emergency petition filed by the ACLU of Nevada challenging Nye County, Nevada's plan to start hand counting votes on Wednesday of this week. The ACLU said in its lawsuit that that risks public release of early voting results. And they are correct. This is a very, very bad precedent. Yes. It's 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 already uh, difficult enough to use a computer tabulator system to start counting in advance of Election Day to count mail in ballots. Now, results from those tallies with computers are supposed to be restricted to anybody, whether it's actually possible or not. I'm not sure. But if folks are actually doing the counting by hand by themselves, I don't know how that information is supposed to, uh, you know, a be overseen by the public. The counting should be overseen by the public and more alarming B how, you know, results of the tallying can possibly be kept from the public before Election Day. Nye County is one of the first jurisdictions nationwide to act on what AP describes as election conspiracies related to mistrust in voting machines. Interim Nye County Clerk Mark Kumpf 
had planned to set up a live stream of that early hand count, which he said would enable residents to, quote, become poll watchers at home. Well, yeah, in theory, live streaming counting is not a bad idea, but not before Election Day, Mark. The court said if observers heard the votes read aloud, the observers, quote, are likely to learn election in, election result information before the release of such information is statutorily authorized. Kampf proposed the plan in response to false claims about Dominion voting machines. The planned hand count will take place alongside machine tabulators. So two separate counts, which means, by the way, all you need to do is game one of them in order to introduce doubts into the results, which is also not a good idea. Nevada's Least populous county, Esmeralda, used hand counting to certify their June primary results. Officials spent more than seven hours counting just over 300 ballots. Last Wednesday, Elko County's Board of Commissioners discussed their support for hand counting and paper ballots, though they will likely have no hand count this cycle as it's too close to when the polls open, which is good. But Brad, you've told us for years how hand counting is the only way to truly know who won or lost an election, and that is true. I have. But if you've paid close attention, you also know that I've never called for hand counts, you know, to just start doing it on Election Day, much less prior to Election Day. But rather, I have called for hand count pilot projects to work out the protocols for hand counting on Election Night at the precincts in public. Pilot projects to determine the protocol so everyone knows how long it will take, how many counting teams are needed, exactly how it is to be done. This is not an ad hoc thing that you just make up as you go. That would be a recipe for disaster and, frankly, a recipe for discrediting the idea of hand counting at all. The fact that it took Esmeralda County more than seven hours to count 317 ballots, that's ridiculous. It means they did not have enough counting teams or the counting teams that they had didn't have an efficient, simple, transparent protocol as they do, for example, in about 40 percent of the towns in New Hampshire, where the community hand counts every night at the precinct on election night in public before ballots are moved anywhere. So the ad hoc nature of this sort of idiocy you know, has resulted in Democrats being able to say falsely that hand counting is less accurate than machine counting or that it just takes too long. If you're a hand count proponent and you'd actually like to see it done, you know, the right thing to do is to work with election officials to develop pilot programs uh, to work it all out well in advance, not at the last hour in a court of law and or, you know, making up the protocol as you go. So good luck, Nevada. Y'all may need it this year with a crucial senatorial race between incumbent Democrat Catherine Cortez Mastro and her Republican challenger, Adam Laxalt. And if Cortez Mastro ends up losing at this point, it's going to be very difficult for Democrats who have criticized anyone for even questioning the results of, of any election. It's going to be very difficult for Democrats to do the right thing to demand real post-election hand counts in Nevada or anywhere else this year, for that matter. A tangled web we weave. Desi Doyen is next in the broadcast with her Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Okay, Desi Doyen, none of your chit-chattery. Let's get right to it. Our latest Green News report. Did Mississippi funnel federal dollars to white communities for projects that ensure safe and clean drinking water and deny Jackson its fair share? Biden EPA opens civil rights probe into Jackson, Mississippi water crisis. Big insurance companies begin to back away from big oil. Plus, South Carolina is going to become the Detroit of batteries. BMW to build massive EV battery plant in the U.S. Republicans take credit. Hi, Lindsey Graham. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Do you want to trust your political fortunes and your substantive fortunes to Vladimir Putin, the, the crown prince, and, you know, Exxon? I don't see why not. Good people on all sides. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we've been a few hours without a hurricane here in the U.S., but that is not true everywhere. No, it is not. Hurricane Roslyn hit a sparsely populated stretch of Mexico's Pacific coast on Sunday. It was the latest major storm to undergo rapid intensification, ramping up from a Category 1 to a powerful Category 3 in just six hours. Wow, we have seen a lot of that lately in, in recent months. Yes, studies link the increasing frequency of rapid intensification before landfall to man-made global warming because Warmer oceans provide more heat energy to fuel storms. The Biden Environmental Protection Agency has opened a federal civil rights probe into the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis Good. that left residents without water for weeks earlier this year. Good. Civil rights groups allege in a complaint that Mississippi's Republican-controlled state legislature and governor discriminated against the majority black city in distributing federal funds for critical water and infrastructure. The state decides where to allocate federal funding for water infrastructure. Despite Jackson being the state's most populous city, the state lawmakers chose instead to pour money into wealthy majority white areas. Here's Mississippi NAACP Director of Environmental Justice, Aubrey Connor. Out of 25 years, Jackson only got federal funding as it related to water issues in three of those 25 years. What we're seeing is systemic racism. Politico reports that under the current bipartisan infrastructure law, Mississippi has received almost $75 million in water funding this year alone. But none of it has been slated for Jackson. None of it? None of it. And they were knocked out. Their water system was knocked out for, what, two weeks recently? Oh, and it's also been troubled and on boil water notices for the last two years. Unbelievable. 
In South Carolina, BMW has announced it will build a $1.7 billion electric vehicle manufacturing plant and a battery manufacturing facility. It's the latest in a string of investments from major automakers to ramp up domestic U.S. electric vehicle production in the wake of Democrats' landmark Inflation Reduction Act and its major provisions to rebuild the U.S. manufacturing sector in order to keep pace with China in the global EV revolution. Notably, Republicans were unanimous in voting against the historic bill in Congress, but they are taking credit for the benefits in their home state. Shocking. Here's South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham at BMW's announcement. So I promise you, Mr. Chairman, that myself and my colleagues in South Carolina are going to be your partner in this journey. South Carolina is going to become the Detroit of batteries. So they voted against the bill to help encourage this uh, battery factory. And now Lindsey Graham is out there saying, oh, we're going to be your partners on this, taking credit for it. (laughs) Yes, he is. I would say it's shocking, except it's not anything shocking at all at this point. Some good news. France, Spain, Poland, and the Netherlands have withdrawn from the controversial Energy Charter Treaty, calling it a threat to the European Union's climate goals. What's the Energy Charter Treaty? It is a trade agreement that allows investors and fossil fuel companies to sue governments over policy changes that might reduce their profits, which climate advocates say dissuades governments from phasing out fossil fuels for fear of legal action. So that is good news. Major global insurance companies are backing away from from fossil fuel projects as not great risks in the climate era. Munich Re, one of the world's biggest reinsurers, announced it will stop investing in and insuring new oil and gas fields and pipelines beginning next year. Also good news. Lloyd's of London, famous for covering anything for the right price, will also <laughs> stop financing new oil, gas, and coal projects. Even Lloyd's of London. And finally, a global milestone. For the first time in world history this year, the world is on pace to invest more in wind and solar than in oil and gas drilling. And in the U.S., on our current trajectory, wind and solar are on track to supply half of U.S. electricity within the next 10 years. And that's before the Inflation Reduction Act kicks in. Good news and not a moment too soon. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And it's a bad time. This world on a it is a bad time. Yep. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it and every show we have ever done for free at bradblog.com. No paywall there. Why? Because of those of you, thank you, who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves. We are 100% listener supported. Thank you. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. It's about time. It's about time. It's about time. 
In the 1990s, renowned Texas progressive writer Molly Ivins regaled and appalled readers with her reports on the tragicomic awfulness of George W. Bush's two terms as Texas governor. His tenure was notable for his deep ignorance, frat boy arrogance, and flagrant servility to corporate interests. But those very qualities made America's moneyed powers decide that, wow, he'd make a dandy president. Molly warned that this was madness, but in the 2000 race, W's patrons stuffed him with money, buffed him up with PR Shinola, pulled off a post-election political heist in Florida, and squeegeed him, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Ashcroft, and that whole regime of horrors into office. Americans soon began expressing astonishment at how shallow, imperious, and dangerous Bush and company were proving to be, leading Molly to say, Next time I tell you someone from Texas should not be president of the United States, please pay attention. Don't look now, but another Texas gubernatorial goober named Greg Abbott is coming at you, insisting that he should be your next president. Sadly, Molly is gone, but I think I can speak for her on this matter of national import. Hell no! Excuse the redundancy here, but right-wing extremism has become extremely extreme and Abbott is vying to be the extremiest of all. A clue to his loopiness is his vituperative anti-abortion absolutism, forcing victims of rape to give birth to their rapist spawn. Not a problem, proclaimed Abbott, for he's the Lone Star Wizard. He declared that he intends to go out and arrest all rapists, get this, before they rape anyone. This is Jim Hightower saying, Abbott has run up a record for spectacular program failures, widening inequality, corruption, political buffoonery, and so awful much more. If that's your idea of a president, there he is. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is brought to you by the Lowdown Happy Hour, live streamed from the Chat and Chew Cafe. Details at HightowerLowdown.org.